millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook and everyone's favourite. It's former Chelsea, West Ham and Charlton left-back, Scott Minto. Yes, on today's pod, Chelsea outspend Germany, Spain, Italy and France put together. Everton sign nobody for no fee and Southampton take a chance on a top scorer from Belgium. Also this week, Tottenham against Manchester City, the rematch. Everton roll the dice. What makes it different from every other move Ken Wright and Mashiri have made? Spoiler alert, nothing. And Liverpool go to Wolves, hoping to find their bite. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Ah, yes, what a fantastic week it has been and what a great weekend to come. We'll do all the previews for the big Premier League games. That's upcoming here on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with Scott and with Crookie. But let's start off by reflecting on what happened in the transfer window. And uh, let's start with Chelsea because Chelsea have spent £291.7 million. They still need a goalie, they still need a centre-back and they still need a centre-forward. So is this going to make any difference in terms of their pursuit of the top four or is this all about next season? Well, to, to be honest with you, Sam, I think it's going to be, yeah, I, I, I don't see Liverpool or Chelsea doing that. I mean, they, they've got to go on some run. I mean, I did see, I did feel a bit more confidence where it looked like there was it was a bit of a, a scattergun team picked at Anfield. And yet I thought the performance was actually very good. And Mudrick, I mean, how how sensational was he? You know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be coming up against him on a regular basis with the pace that he's got. I thought, you know, two-footed, quick, agile. Um, he's got an eye for a goal, clearly, and he'll certainly be making assists. I, I think Chelsea's just one of those where the pressure's on Graham Potter. It's... I'd love to be a fly in the wall to hear what Todd Bowley says and whether it's, we've spent hundreds of millions, you better get us into the top four. Or we've spent hundreds of millions, you know what, we understand it's going to take time, build towards something and the next season we'll really go for it. Um, But do I think they'll finish in the top four? No, I don't. Do they still need a striker, an out-and-out goal scorer who will guarantee 10, 15, 20 goals in the Premier League? Absolutely. After all the money they've spent, they've still not got it. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see how this works. The, the more I look into the Enzo Fernandez deal, the more unbelievable it gets for Benfica. And actually, I cast my mind back to last summer. Wolverhampton Wanderers were in advanced talks uh, with River Plate about a £17 million move for Enzo Fernandez. Didn't quite happen, I think, because he'd given Benfica his word. Talk about one that got away for Wolves. I think he's a good player. I think he showed that. I was in amongst the Argentina fans when he came on and scored that wonderful goal against Mexico, which really changed the course of their World Cup. Is he a £106 million player? I'm not entirely convinced by that. And I wonder how much of this was 
ego and posturing on behalf of the new Chelsea owner and the new recruitment team that he set up, they weren't taking no for an answer in Portugal. I think Benfica have played a blinder, to be honest. Everton have been a big problem in terms of recruitment for a while and this January transfer was no different. Frank Lampard was doing his best to try and convince Arnold Danjuma to join the club. They thought they'd got that over the line. They then decided to sack the one man that had done the deal and that Danjuma wanted to play for. So they ended up losing him as well. They had late flurries into the market to try and get someone over the line. That didn't work out either. So now they're in a similar situation as they were before they even started the window. Uh, but Sean Dyche has got the same squad to work with. I mean, the, the ultimate truth is this is a club, as I said this on the podcast the other week, if you've got no money, just say we've got no money. Stop sending people down the wrong avenue and pretending that you're going to sign a striker. Mashiri going up to the fan advisory board and saying, we will get a striker before the end of the January transfer window, when that patently was never going to happen. Absolutely ridiculous behaviour, but it's been ridiculous behaviour for a very long time. And look, you know, we did a thing on the on the show on Wednesday night with Adrian and with Stuart Pearce, in which we said that they'd probably survive. But I'm not entirely sure that uh, that is the case. What do we think then? Everton, for me, were one of the talking points uh, from deadline day. The fact they didn't manage to get uh, anybody over the line, I think <laughs> I can understand why their fans are so frustrated. And Sean Dyche has to be as well, because I think we all felt that when they raked in 45 million, 40 million of it in cash up front for Anthony Gordon, that would give him a little bit of spending power. The fact they were scratching around, making a two million pound loan bid for Ishmael Assar that was never going to be accepted by Watford just shows to me a club lacking direction. I spoke to a couple of board members at rival clubs who were competing allegedly with Everton for the same players. And they were quite relaxed about Everton's interest. In fact, one said to me, their money isn't real. So you know they haven't got the financial power to back up the, the interest that they're allegedly showing. Dan Juma was an interesting case study because obviously he was committed at one stage to Everton. I know he was given personal assurances by Bill Kemwright before agreeing to join that Frank Lampard would not be fired. So it wasn't really a great surprise after Lampard's dismissal that Dan Juma had second thoughts and obviously Tottenham is a better move for him anyway. But again, that sums up the, the lack of direction, the lack of foresight on behalf of the Everton board. They're in talks with Andre Ayew, who is a free agent, former Swansea striker, now edging towards the veteran stage of his career. It's not even guaranteed that he'll get a work permit because he's been playing in Qatar. His contract has just been cancelled over there. Qatar is uh, a Category 6 league. And to guarantee a work permit, you have to be playing in top five or above. I think you'll probably get it on a pill. But again, is he really the solution, Scott, that Everton need? No, no, but it's too late now. The horse has bolted, hasn't it, Crookie? And and as I said earlier, I, I think he's on his own, Sean Dyche. So he's just got to work with what he's got. I mean, what I would say is you've got a lot of players who, while they're not good enough, they're definitely suffering with confidence, lack of confidence. So if he can somehow turn that around... You know, Michael Keane hasn't been played hasn't played for a long time, and yet you know was was great under Sean. There's a couple of other players, obviously, that that Sean knows about, and he can have a word with them. And he can, I think, this is where the man management comes in, and I think it's something that Sean will absolutely love, relish the battle. My worry for him is even if he does keep Everton up, where do they go from there for next season in terms of getting rid of some players and bringing players in? How can you sell a player for forty five million pounds? and not bring anyone in. And it wasn't as if like a Enzo Fernandez, a club's come in on deadline day and said, we're not going until we've got the guy, just, you know, name your price. This has been on the cards for weeks, if not months. 
So it's an absolute shambles what's happening with the hierarchy. But you know what? I think Sean Dyche will make it uh, one of these sort of siege mentalities. And, uh, you know, you don't judge him on the first couple of games because they're so difficult. I, I think it's now 50-50. I thought Everton were going down. I genuinely think it's 50-50. And that's not me sitting on the fence. That's me giving a big compliment to Sean Dyche. Alex Crook was brilliant on uh, deadline day. I don't say that lightly. It, it pains me to do so. You were brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. But um, tell us what else the highlights were uh, for deadline day, mate. Well, first of all, I thought it was uh, as newsworthy a January deadline day as we've had probably in the history of the transfer window. You look at the money that's been spent, £815 million, smashing uh, the previous record of around about £500 million. What would worry me is that only £25 million of that went back into the EFL, £15 million of it from Leicester and their £15 million move for Harry Souter. I think that's an issue going forward that clubs are strengthening and putting their funds into overseas clubs and maybe neglecting the EFL. I'm going to try and do a piece for the TalkSport website on that next week. Uh, Manchester United, usually a story on deadline day, moving very quickly to bring in Marcel Sabitzer, which is not the most sexy of signings, but I think I would credit the United board for moving quickly after Ericsson was ruled out following that dreadful tackle from Andy Carroll. I think in the past, maybe they would sit on their hands. They didn't do that. He was keen to come. They think he brings experience and energy into midfield and can be a leader in the dressing room as well. And then I look at players who perhaps were looking to move away and it didn't quite happen for them. Mick and Antonio was really keen to leave West Ham. I think Danny Ings' injury scuppered that, but he will get a move, I'm sure, in the summer. Everton, who we've been talking about, one of the clubs who showed an act active interest in him. And then the Conor Gallagher situation uh, at Chelsea. We know there was a fabled bid from Everton. Again, I'm not sure they had the money to pay £45 million for Conor Gallagher, but he wasn't interested in going there anyway. Newcastle were keen. Chelsea weren't willing to do business with them because they see them as a top-four rival. And I think that tells you how scared the rest of the so-called big six are about Newcastle's rapid rise up the divisions they fear if they get into the top four then they could be a powerhouse in the transfer market. And then there were offers from the likes of Crystal Palace as well for Conor Gallagher that Chelsea rebuffed on deadline day. Does that mean he's a big part of their immediate future for the rest of the Premier League season? Or was that because they feared the Enzo Fernandez deal might not get done in time? We'll have to wait and see on that. And in terms of players leaving Chelsea, Hakim Ziyech, absolutely furious and crestfallen that his move to PSG didn't go through because of a paperwork blunder. And just imagine Scott being Hakim Ziyech waking up on Wednesday morning thinking he's going to be playing with Messi and Mbappe and Neymar and finding out he's going back to being on the bench at Stamford Bridge. It's a disgrace. And obviously, I don't like to sort of criticise Chelsea, but it's a disgrace that, especially if you don't want the player, if you're happy for him to come out, you should have helped. Listen, I think his agent is mostly to blame on that one, but the club itself should take a... Um, certainly some of the blame. I, I'd just like to mention Leeds as well. I, I, you know, I was speaking to some Leeds fans and I, I, I really like the club and I think it's got a wonderful set of fans. And you've got Max Vroba who's come in for, for 11 million. I think he's really steadied the ship there. And you've got Ruta who looks like he's an absolute talent. You know, Weston McKenney has come in to take advantage of what's happening at, at Juve. And I just think, Although he's not won everyone over, and he might never win everyone over, I think there's enough of a good squad there for Leeds to, to come away. Patrick Bamford is now getting fit and has looked sharp in, his, in the few games that he has played. So I think Leeds have done pretty well in the, in the market, uh, amongst a few others. Yeah, I was impressed with Wolves' business as well. Um, I, I think they had a really good window. Probably 
<laughs> would have wanted to bring in a, another centre forward, although I think they feel that um, Mateusz Cunha can step up to that plate. Really excited by Sarabia. I think he's a great bit of business at, what, £5 million. Pounds. I think Craig Dawson will replace the experience in the dressing room they lost when Connor Cody went to Everton. So I think they've given themselves a, a fighting chance. And then you look at Southampton and Bournemouth, both spending big um, on deadline day. And again, that will just add to Everton's frustrations that all of the teams around them and the so-called lesser lights of the Premier League in the case of Bournemouth and Southampton uh, are being really ambitious to try and stay up. And they aren't. Uh, I think that will, again, be a reason that will fuel the protest this weekend. And if I just mention one player, but one club now, Champions League winner going to Nottingham Forest. Wow. You know, that that's amazing. And and we know that Dean Henderson is is out for some time. That's, again, not just Steve Cooper, but the club itself. You know, brilliant what they did in terms of giving him an improved contract and saying, look, this is our guy for the for, for this season. Let's see what happens there. And the proof is in the pudding there. But realising how important that goalkeeping position is. Kayla Navas. Wow, that's, that's, that's a fantastic signing for Forrest. What a day, what a window on Talk Sport. Daniel does love transfer deadline day. I mean, he comes into his element today. Pedro Porro is in from Sporting Lisbon to Tottenham. 40 million plus deal. I mean, Doherty, wow. I mean, Carlsberg agent. I mean, Atletico Madrid. I mean, it's unbelievable. Cancelo set, it kind of played down this idea he'd fallen out with Pep Guardiola, even though he had those questions about it. It's now happened. Jorginho is an Arsenal player. It's only 15 months ago, he was third in the Ballon d'Or. Everton, officially, are now the only one of 20 Premier League clubs who haven't made a single signing. We are heading towards the deadline. Official confirmation, Southampton Football Club pleased to confirm the signing of attacker Kamaldine Suleimana from Wren. Final, final deals in the final, final minutes. British record fee in excess of £105 million. Endo Fernandez is a Chelsea player. You know, time will tell. It's a, it's a ridiculous amount of money, even for Chelsea standards. Sarbitzer, I'm told, will be a Manchester United player on loan from Bayern Munich until the end of the season. He is experienced, which he's played in big arenas. You know, he's somebody who hopefully for United will be able to deal with that because it is pressure going to a club like United. This deadline has now been reached and the window is shut. So it wasn't that long ago that these two sides faced each other. Um, Chelsea going to Craven Cottage the other week and uh, they were beaten by two goals to one. Obviously, a lot has changed since then, Scott. But do you think that Chelsea uh, can meld all those players together that quickly and be able to put a performance on on Friday night? The, the results ha- or the performances haven't been that bad. And I, and I watched the, the Fulham game and I thought Chelsea were the better side. Nick the win against Palace. I thought they were better side against Liverpool. But yeah, it's going to be... That's the million-dollar... Well, that's the $500 million question, isn't it? Whether Graham Potter can get everyone together and, and, and who he puts that... You know, Joao Felix is still suspended, but you would think that the, the cameo role that Mudrick had that he has to play... Enzo Fernandez, does he come straight in? I've watched a lot of him at Benfica and I think he's a really good player. You know, the price tag is one thing, but does he put him in straight away for this game? I'm not so sure. I think he might just have him on the bench and maybe come on in the second half. So I've got no idea, Sam, what kind of team selection he's going to have here. But at least he's had a bit of time to work on the players who have been around for some time because they've been out of the FA Cup. So that's why I think he'll go more so with the players that he's had a bit more time with than sticking someone like Enzo Fernandez straight in. That'll go down well. 
Um, Fulham have been going down very well over the course of the, the season. They've been playing well under uh, Marco Silva. And it's been particularly impressive the way he's blended in all of his new faces. Um, they, I think they've been quite good. They were quite good against Tottenham, especially in the in the first half the other week when I was there at Craven Cottage. Um, is there any chance that they could pull off their first ever Premier League double over the London rivals? I think there's a chance. Um, I watched him in the FA Cup last weekend. He made a, a number of changes for that game, but they looked a very cohesive unit, a uh, good atmosphere, a craving cottage. The fans have really bought into what he's doing. I think what's impressed me about Marco Silva is not so much the signings. I think João Polina is a terrific player, and I think he'll be on the radar of a lot of big clubs in the summer. But it's the improvement Pereira's of been. players who've played previously in the Premier League and maybe haven't quite been up to standard. You look at Tim Ream, who's been a mainstay at the heart of that Fulham defence. You look at Harrison Reed in midfield, who finally looks at home in the top flight. And then you look at Alexandra Mitrovic. There were big question marks about him coming into this season. 40-odd goals in, in the Championship. I remember speaking to him after he was crowned Championship Player of the Season at the EFL Awards and all the interviews and all the questions were about the fact he couldn't cut it in the Premier League. He's come back, he's slender, he's meaner, he looks more motivated and he, I think, has silenced those doubters. If he scores on Friday night, it'll be the first time he's scored 12 goals in a single Premier League season. So I think that, that for me, is what's impressed me most about Marco Silva. Not so much the signings, although Fulham's recruitment has dramatically improved this season compared to their previous incarnations in the Premier League. It's the way that those players we weren't convinced by suddenly are stepping up to the Premier League plate. Is that because the recruitment's not being done by the uh, the son of the owner, Tony Khan, on his laptop? Is that <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, uh, Fulham, Fulham didn't really trouble the goal when they played Tottenham the other week. Um, Chelsea are a little bit leakier in defence, or certainly had been until they went to Liverpool um, the other Saturday and they drew nil-nil in that game. Uh, seven of Chelsea's last eight Premier League matches have f- featured fewer than three goals. It's fascinating listening to Crook talk about Marco Silva, a manager that he wrote off after his spell at Everton, um, Watford, uh, Hull City. You weren't completely convinced by him, were you? What's changed your mind? Well, it's taken a while for him to prove me wrong. Listen, um, I think he had a point to prove coming into the Premier League as well. I think he had to rebuild his reputation. And to to be fair to him, halfway through the season, I think he's done that. I, I, I heard that was his motivation, Scott. I don't know about you. Well, it's everybody's motivation to try and impress Alex Crook, isn't it? And get him on side. So hopefully we're doing that, Sam. And I know Marcus Silva would be delighted he's, he's changed Crookie's mind. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. 
Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. But in uh, the blue half of Merseyside, they are not happy at all. Everton 1, Wolves 2. Everton 1, Brighton 4. Everton 1, Southampton 2. It's finished, West Ham 2, Everton 0. Looks like Everton's managerial search is set to reach a definitive conclusion. Sean Dyche, I'm told, done deal. Deja vu, who said that? Again. I do know the Premier League. Luke Warm, yeah, he's a player. We've been linked with him, Luke Warm. It's a fair one, yeah. Apparently we can't afford him. We certainly can't afford Red Hot. Go around the Premier League and ask all of the Premier League managers, do you play the looky-likey game? And if they give you a boring answer, we'll drive down and we'll slap them with a wet fish. I think Sean Dyche is a sensible appointment. I think it's a brave move for both of them. I think he's a man with a point to prove. Everton fans will be delighted they've got a, uh, a manager like Sean Dyche. If he keeps Everton up with where they're at in a the moment, now they're playing, it's not far off a miracle. Sometimes the, the lines between success and failure in football, they seem massive. But there's some good things here. It's about now adapting to how I think we can add on to what's already here and make it work better. Um, the hardest job in world football right now is probably getting the Everton fans on side. Live on game day on Saturday at 12.30, Everton take on Arsenal. So probably right now one of the worst teams in the league against one of the best teams in the league. And after dry January, Everton the only Premier League side not to make a single January signing. A new era begins, but what can Sean Dyche do with that collection of rabble? We sort of talked about it in the in the in the in the sort of uh, build up to uh, the start of the podcast, talking about the, the transfers and lack of money and the, the letdown by Mashiri and Ken Wright. But talk to me about Sean Dyche as a manager and what he is going to do on the training field, which can transform their fortunes. As we're speaking, right, it's, it's Thursday morning, and um, I spoke to someone who has got good connections at Everton. The unveiling is going to be later today. And I've heard that Sean Dyche is going to be on his own. There's going to be no board members at all. That, to me, just sums up the Everton hierarchy at the moment and pretty much is a metaphor for where Sean Dyche is. That is that he is on his own. So what's he going to do? I remember Alan Kirbishley telling me that Sir Bobby Robson once said to him, when when you're losing games left, right and centre, what do you do? He said, you play 11 defenders. You know, you make yourself difficult to beat. You try and keep a clean sheet and try and nick one down the other end. And let's face it, Everton don't score a lot of goals. So if Everton concedes, to score two goals is going to be very, very difficult. I'm sure Sean Dyche should be drilling in team play with pattern without the ball. Make yourself difficult to beat. Don't give away any silly goals and then hope you can nick one down the other end. Because if you play expansive football, which to be fair, Sean Dyche hasn't really done in his time, but he can say that I hadn't been out, had the players... Everton are going down. So I, I would say that it, it's a really good appointment, but it's going to be still a very difficult thing to do and turn it round because it's not as if the fans are now totally on board. They're still against the board. So it, uh, it, the fans will play a big part, just like they did last season. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how, how this goes. And the next couple of games, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, very, very difficult. And then you've got Leeds at home and Villa at home. I think after those games, we'll be able to judge a little bit more whether Everton are going down or not. Yeah, the, the rancour is going to be unbelievable amongst the supporters. And it's going to be geared towards the board, that is for sure. I mean, look, this, this, it is what it is. They're doing the same thing again. It's the ever-decreasing spiral that is Everton Football Club, where they just keep going round and round the same circle. And eventually, as Darren Lewis used to say on this programme, if you keep circling the drain long enough, you end up 
going down. Um, let's talk a little bit about Arsenal because uh, I thought that over the uh, the course of the FA Cup game against Manchester City, they actually came out better than City did because City made no changes. Arsenal made several changes, were highly competitive, maybe even the better team in the game, and then came away with a narrow 1-0 defeat that doesn't really hurt them because it takes them out of the competition, but actually showed that with the upcoming meetings between the two on the horizon, there's going to be quite a high degree of competition between them. Yeah, sometimes in defeat you can earn more than your victors earn with the win. I think that was certainly the case in that FA Cup game. I don't think it will derail Arsenal in any way or, or dent their confidence because, as you say, their reserves basically went toe-to-toe with the champions and were unlucky perhaps not to at least come away with a replay. And I think it says all you need to know about Arsenal that we're going into this game at Goodison Park and I don't think you'll find anybody who thinks this is a potential banana skin for the Gunners. And I think in previous seasons, they have struggled at, at places like Goodison Park. They've lost games at Goodison Park or, or dropped points there. Anyway, Mikel Arteta in his first match uh, ended with a nil-nil draw. Even with the Sean Dyche effect, the new manager bounce, I, I struggled to make a case for Everton. Um, I, I couldn't believe it on deadline day. It got to about lunchtime and there'd been barely a mention of a, an Everton signing. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? So I, I sent out a few messages and one one reply I got was that they were, quote, scrambling around. Does that not just sum up Everton Football Club in 2023? They've been scrambling around for answers for the last few years. They haven't found any. I think Sean Dyche is a great appointment. I think it's the right appointment. Bielsa would have been an absolute car crash, I think, walking into this situation. But with no new faces, with Anthony Gordon, who despite the fact he hasn't played well this season, sold, Who's going to keep them up? Where are the goals coming from? Dominic Calvert-Lewin seems to have checked out. Maybe that was due to his relationship with Frank Lampard. Maybe Sean Dyche can get him firing again. I think they're gone. I agree with Scott. I think the championship beckons, which is great news for the EFL, by the way. They'll be welcoming Everton with open arms, I'm sure. Well, there's no doubt it's a big game for both sides. Everton haven't won since October. And you mentioned Dominic Calvert-Lewin. The goals have been just a massive, massive issue for them uh, at both ends. Not so... Um, Arsenal, who have got a striker who is in rare form in Eddie Nketiah, absolutely shining recently. Um, is that a triumph for good coaching or has Eddie Nketiah always been a very good player, Scott? I, I didn't see this, Sam. I must admit, I remember um, you know covering Leeds when he went on loan and Bielsa hardly played him. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you know, I thought that Arsenal needed to go out and buy um, when Jesus got injured. I think, first of all, everyone sort of says, oh, isn't the manager done well? First and foremost, it's about the player. The player is the one who has to step out there on the pitch in front of tens of thousands of fans and all the fans watching around the world and perform. The fact of how well he's played, for me, you have to give him the ultimate credit. But you also have to give Arteta credit as well because of what he's done, because of the faith he's put on him, because he didn't say, right, we just need to go out and buy someone and, and go in a scattergun approach in that way. And I'd say he's been as good as Jesus. Certainly in the scoring front, he's been better. And that's why even when Jesus gets fit, I just think it'd be a great message from Arteta to send that actually it doesn't matter who you are, if you do the job when you're wearing the shirt, you keep it. It's as simple as that. So, first of all, him. But, yeah, Arteta. Everything at the moment he's touching just turning to gold, isn't it? Yeah, apart from his hair, which is still incredibly black. 
Arsenal have scored eight goals in the last three away games. Um, okay, uh, I wonder whether or not uh, Sean Dyche changes that formation at the back. They've been playing three at the back under uh, Frank Lampard. Uh, but uh, um, I, I just wonder whether or not they might shift it around. Sean's a very 4-4-2 kind of guy, isn't he? We shall see on Saturday lunchtime. I'll be there for Talk Sport. Game kicks off at 12.30. We'll be on air uh, from 11 o'clock. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah, later we'll do Wolves against uh, Liverpool, which is on TalkSport 2. But Newcastle-West Ham and Newcastle well and truly flying this season into the final of the Carabao Cup. Congratulations to Eddie Howe and his team. And just one defeat so far in their Premier League uh, campaign. Um, what a, an impressive season it has been. Could it have been a better season for Eddie Howe? I mean, when you think about last year, you think about the start of this season, there were still people questioning Eddie. What are they saying now, Crook? <laughs> I think they're prepared to give him the freedom of the city. Uh, in fairness, Newcastle fans got behind this appointment um, right from the outset, it, even though I think when the, the Saudi money came in, maybe they thought they might go for somebody a bit sexier, maybe a Jose Mourinho or an Antonio Conte. Uh, I think they, they invested in Eddie Howe. That would have been Eddie a mistake Howe. now. That would have been a mistake, wouldn't it? When you look at how those two managers oh. and their careers have gone over the course of the last two, three years, and you look at Eddie Howe and what he's done, how he's conducted himself, how the club themselves have been able to sort of generate this atmosphere around the whole city, around the whole club, that would have been a huge, huge mistake. They've made the right appointment. And so often, there's a bit of luck in this or whatever, so often these big regimes come in, they take over these football clubs, they try and do everything quickly, mentioning no names, Todd. Um, but this is a really sensible appointment. I think from a PR perspective as well, because obviously early on, Eddie was having to bat away a lot of questions about the Saudi regime and the, the human rights issues attached with that particular country. And I think it's important we don't forget that, but they have been forgotten in some senses because of what's happening on the pitch, because of the atmosphere at St. James's Park. I think because everybody in the media historically has always had a soft spot for Newcastle, going back to the, the Kevin Keegan entertainers in the mid-1990s. And because we know they're supporters have been through the ringer a few times they've got the archetypal English gentleman haven't they um in charge of the team you know very unconfrontational inoffensive character um defensively here's a quiz question for you who was the last player in the Premier League to score a goal against Newcastle I'm gonna ask Scott because Sam might just be able to pluck this out I don't think Scott will Oh, I don't know. It's, you know, you probably have to go back to Eric Cantona or something like that. Um, <laughs> no, no, go on, go on. I'll be guessing. I think it was a Southampton player. You're correct. Was it Roman Perot? Oh, look at that. That's why wow. he's the man. Wow. Get him, come on! <laughs> he's that out. Like I'm a Newcastle fan who's just got to the Carabao Cup final. Wow. Yeah, the sick it was Roman Perot. Saturday the 6th of November... In a 4-1 win at St Mary's, the last time Newcastle conceded a Premier League goal. For a manager who has often been tarnished with the brush of being in charge of teams that can't defend, yeah. that is an incredible stat. <laughs> um, what I'm a little bit disappointed about is bearing in mind that he is the Newcastle manager. and Manchester United had to go to Nottingham Forest to get to the final. Um, that um, Eddie Howe didn't channel his inner Kevin Keegan and before the semi-finals of the Carabao <laughs> Cup say... Oh, <laughs> You've got to go to Nottingham Forest. And, and when you say those things about, about people like Stuart Pearce, you know, I, I'd love it. I'd love it if we beat them. I think everyone would love it if they did beat them. But, you know, it, it, I thought he could have done a little bit more of that, trying to channel some sort of like 1990s 
um, retro vibe. Uh, Manchester United are their opponents on uh, February the 26th in the Carabao Cup final. We'll get to them in just a second. A quick word on West Ham, Scott, beforehand, though. Uh, can they turn their season around now? Uh, I know they beat Everton last time, and that's not saying too much. But Zuma, Ings, Skamaka, Corne, all out of the uh, clash with Newcastle this weekend. No, and it, look, look, you know, I've had a look at the fixture list as well. You know, Newcastle away, Chelsea at home, Spurs away. I mean, those three games. I mean, it'd be typical West Ham to, to to not lose any of them or get points or win one of them, but. And then you've got some sort of forest. Not this season, it isn't typical. No, no, it isn't. Um, do you know what, Sam? Again, like Everton, I, I'm desperate to see West Ham get out of there. And that was a massive win against Everton. Make no mistake. And to be fair, it was a decent win at Derby in the Cup. Now, you know, I think Crookies United will probably beat West Ham, but it'd be great almost as a, a bit of a sideshow and, and for the fans to forget about what's happening in the league if they can if not FA Cup, then then the conference, European conference, to to sort of take their mind away from it. But, uh, you know, I don't see West Ham getting out of it anytime soon. I think they will eventually. I don't think they will go down. But, you know, this is going to be really too close to call come the end of the season. So uh, I just hope David Moyes stays in the job. He's able to get to grind out some wins. But some tough games coming up. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I had to just check the fixture list again and make sure that Manchester United were playing the requisite number of away games this season because it does turn out they seem to be playing at home quite a lot at the moment. Um, they've had a home draw in every round of the FA Cup. They've had a home draw in most of the rounds of the Carabao Cup as well. Um, and now they play Man- uh, Manchester United play Crystal Palace at uh, home this weekend before they play Leeds on Wednesday night. Funnily enough, at home. Um, <laughs> United have done the majority of their best work at home over the course of the season. Their midweek victory over Forest leaves them with a total of 12 successive wins at home in all competition. How difficult is it going to be for Crystal Palace, especially in the absence of um, uh, Christian Eriksen, but the re-emergence of Sancho, Martial, Gonacho playing well, and obviously Rashford coming off the bench on Wednesday night in Lively still. Yeah, Crystal Palace have got a good record um, in Manchester, so that is uh, a little bit of a cause for concern. But I think the biggest uh, compliment I can pay to Eric Ten Hag is that I'm back in the situation as a United fan where I'm watching games expecting to win, even against Forest last night, 3-0 up from the first leg. The performance was quite flat in the first half, and really it was only once he made that triple change that injected a bit of life into proceedings. But I, I never at any stage of the evening felt like, well, this is this is... United vulnerable, particularly at home. He's turned Old Trafford into a fortress, and uh, Would that's you admit great. To being a fickle Manchester United fan, uh, I'm a demanding a person. I'm a demanding Manchester United fan, if that's what you mean. But um, standards are being met by Eric Ten Hag. I think the guy's a genius. You know, I can't say it enough <laughs> to, to go from where they were. You know, when I switched the game off at half time against Brentford and thought, well, this is an absolute disaster of a season again. To go from there to where they are now in one cup final. Obviously a massive game against Barcelona to come in the Europa League. But again, I fancy United to win that. Good draw in the FA Cup at home. Very much part of the conversation for the top four. I think if, if he achieves top four and a trophy, regardless of who wins the title, and Mikel Arteta's done a great job. For me, Eric Ten Hag is a big contender for manager uh, of the season. Right. If Arteta wins the title, he's manager of the year. Don't even dare suggest that that wouldn't be the case. Um, he, he's a genius. He's an absolute genius. He got 39 points from his first 20 league games. He got them through to a semi-final. May 
even a final. They haven't won anything yet. Don't even go there. Don't even go there. Ollie, after 20 league games, 40 points. I think he took them to the final, <laughs> couple of semi-finals. That's now, like was comparing... He a, was he a genius? Was no, he a genius? that's like comparing a luxury beachfront villa in Barbados <laughs> to a week at Butlins. I was, I was at Butlins last week, so I know yeah. there's no comparison he, between he, the he, two. One quick right. On a regular basis, Sam, so he knows exactly what it's like. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to experience both sides of life. One quick gripe, though. Of course. Has there ever been a more one-footed player in the history of the Premier League than Anthony. Against Forrest last night, the number of times he had the opportunity, went the outside of the fullback, get the cross in with your right foot, fella. I'm sorry, somebody on that United coaching staff needs to be spending hours on the training ground teaching Anthony how to use his right foot. That's my only complaint. I actually think he's played quite well over the last couple of games, bearing in mind that he sort of drifted in and out of games up until uh, that point. United against Crystal Palace is 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon on TalkSport 2. Wolves against Liverpool. Uh, sorry, state of affairs for Liverpool. They signed one player during the January transfer window. And I noticed looking at some of the uh, fan sites that a lot of the uh, the fans groups now are starting to realise that this idea that um, Liverpool's investment group, FSG, that own them, are not actually looking for extra capital to bolster their coffers. They're on a, for a full-on sale of this football club, which is why they didn't spend a huge amount of money in the January transfer window. And why people are slightly concerned that they are not going to be able to afford the outlay required for Jude Bellingham in the summer. They lost to Brighton on Sunday again, um, and now they're out of both domestic cups. They're not going to win the league. They might not get the top four. They're probably unlikely to get to the top four, Scott. And let's be honest, on current form, they're not going to win the Champions League. Is this the worst season under Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, I mean, it was bad enough a couple of seasons ago, wasn't it? And then they nicked it into the top four. But I, I'm with you, Sam. I don't think they will be top four. I just like I don't think Chelsea will be top four. But but I think they have squads capable of going on the run. But they've not shown us anything that they're more than capable of doing that. I think the Brighton game in the cup was really disappointing because it was almost the way from what happened in the league that we're going to show you now and we're going to you know start a, a little mini run. But you know when you got Andy Robertson saying that that we're getting worse. I, I I think he's got to play. He's got to now think towards next season. And what am I going to do? I, I I just think he's got to get the best out of Darwin Nunez. He's got to play him, um, and and don't have him on the bench. And if you if you get Diaz fit as well, that's a really good front three. You know, the defense is a problem, but I think the midfield, as we've all said many times, is the biggest thing. And I don't care if they have to put all their eggs in the in the Bellingham basket, Sam. They've got to get him. They've got to get him because without someone like him, Liverpool are a million miles away from where they need to be. And you've got Manchester United back. You've got Newcastle up and coming. You've got Arsenal where they are. You know, Chelsea don't want to be stuck outside the top four for a couple of seasons. Liverpool can't afford it either. So what I would say is next season in the Premier League is going to be absolutely amazing. But in terms of this season, he needs to find a way to win. And it will give him a little bit of confidence that they went to to Molyneux and, and won there in the cup. But... They need to grind out another win here and somehow just get back to winning ways because at the moment, it, it's nowhere near good enough. They're a top 10 side no more. And it was a, a narrow victory at Molyneux in the Cup. And let's be completely clear about it. They started to put those younger players into the team. Uh, Fabio Carvalho, Harvey Elliott, Vicic, because they needed extra legs. But let's also be clear that they've sacrificed a little bit of quality in that. Van Dijk obviously is not available. 
Luis Diaz, you've mentioned, is not available. Firmino's not available. Canate's now injured. Jota not available. They have had their injury problems as well, but you've got to overcome those. Um, do you have much sympathy with Jurgen Klopp, Crook? No. <laughs> Why would I have any sympathy for Jurgen Klopp? <laughs> because he's been, you know, he's, he's, he's been hamstrung by the fact that his owners don't want to spend as much money as some of uh, their rivals. He's got all these injuries to worry about. It's so difficult for him. No, I feel no sympathy at all uh, for Liverpool or for Jurgen Klopp. Um, so <laughs> do you want the first so post-transfer window bold claim? And uh, Oh, here we go. Yeah. I was asked by TalkSport to record a sort of video of the winners and losers uh, of the transfer windows. And I, I felt like Liverpool were one of the losers because they've signed a player in Cody Gakpo who short-term doesn't offer much of a solution to their problems. Not only do I think Liverpool won't finish in the top four, I think they're up against it at finishing a European place at all. When you look at the form of the likes of Brighton, Fulham, who we've already waxed lyrical about, Brentford as well. I think Tottenham will finish above Liverpool in the table. And I think Chelsea, if their new signings gel, can go on a run. So I think we're looking at not just missing out on the top four, but missing out on the top seven. Is that is that outlandish? No, not really. I think both of uh, Chelsea and, and Liverpool are going to struggle to make the European places. But I think Liverpool, when I watched that game between Chelsea and Liverpool last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, I thought Chelsea were the better team in that yeah. game. Yeah. And uh, Chelsea had a very unsettled lineup, and they don't look to me as if they've got everybody ready yet. So I think once they've got everybody in sync, they will be more likely to start moving, snaking up the table than Liverpool are because Liverpool actually are are getting players back and then still not performing. They are, they just look a little bit off it. And the reason for that is quite simple, really, is that Jurgen Klopp is wedded to this high line and this really intense play, which the, the players that they've got at this moment in time available to him aren't quite capable of. And as a result of that, they keep getting exposed. So he, he needs to make some sort of adaptation. And if he's going to make that adapt, if he's going to make that adaptation, then that changes his ethos and his style. I'm not sure he's happy to do that. So I think they're sort of in a, a really tough position where he's trying to continue with the way they've played for a long time, but he hasn't really got the resources to do it. And trying to sort of meld new new players or younger players into that and maintain that style is, is hampering them a little bit as a result of that. Wolves also looking to get back to winning ways, by the way, following a 3-0, list, uh, 3-0 loss to Manchester City in their last match day. Tottenham against Manchester City is the big game on Sunday. City desperate to close the gap at the top of the table. I thought they were really average on Friday night. I was at the game uh, for ITV and I thought they were okay in the game against Arsenal, but it was slow. It was one pace. There was no real urgency to the football match. That worried me a little bit. Um, Pep's fallen out with Jao Cancelo. We could all pretend if we like and, and say that that's, that wasn't the case, but it was. And... Um, has he done that to reassert his authority in the dressing room, Scott, do you think? Do you know what? I, I really like Joao Cancelo and I'm really disappointed to see him go. And you know what I think Best about... Best player in the league last year. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, he, he used to boss games from left back. And I can tell you yeah. from personal experience, that ain't easy. Um, oh, did you not used to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Slight difference that, in ability. <laughs> that, that, oh, 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 oh hold on. Yeah, yeah. Which, what about you and Scott Minto? Was there a slight difference in ability there? <laughs> well, I was, I was, I was a right back, so it's difficult, difficult to compare. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Who did you play for, Crookie? By the way, um, <laughs> West Systems United. We won, we won, we won the. Uh, <laughs> when, when I, when we won I met the, him. Amshie when I met Cup. him at twenty-one, he'd already retired and become the manager because he wasn't mobile enough to get up and down. Twenty-one stone or twenty-one. 
age. No, look, I mean, I, I, I set him up there, but, it, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I'm really disappointed. You know what I think about Pep Guardiola? I think he's one of the best managers in history, but I think he's been extremely prickly because I think he's what, what I said last week. I think it's very difficult to do a three-peat. It's only ever done been done three times since World War II. And he's trying to get people, if they haven't got the right attitude... To, to get right on it. And if they've ended up having a big argument, and let's face it, Pep's not the only one not to play Cancelo. Um, Santos, you know, the national manager didn't play him in the World Cup. So clearly there's an issue there, but I just think it could have been dealt with because that's not an ability thing. Manchester United are, uh, Manchester City, sorry, are a weaker side and weaker squad with Cancelo not being in it. But ultimately, Pep's decided that whatever what was said on the training grounds, he can't have that. And he, he needs to set the tone to the rest of the players. So I'm disappointed to see him go. I think he's a great player, one of the best fullbacks in the world, if not the best. So it's going to be interesting to see how things are, are going to go moving forward because City are not in the place where they want to be, but they're not a million miles from it. And that Arsenal game is just around the corner. Uh, Antonio Conte not available because he's had the gallbladder surgery. We wish him all the best. Uh, Christian Stellini will be uh, in charge of this fixture as a result of that. Spurs took a 2-0 lead against Manchester City the other week live on TalkSport and then lost five goals in the second half. So a tough game for them. Let's talk about uh, Brighton Bournemouth. This is South Coast Expertise 101. Crook, the stage is yours. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Brighton, obviously, in, in tip-top form. Fascinating to see if Moises Caicedo uh, is back in the lineup. He returned to training on Wednesday. A little bit sheepish, I'm told, um, after that Instagram post last Friday, which really set the transfer window alight. But credit to Brighton. Uh, they were quite clear with Arsenal. He's not for sale at any price. They stuck to that. He's still a Brighton player. They kept hold of Tarek Lamptey as well. who had a bit of interest in the window. I think he could have a big part to play in the second half of the season. Uh, Bournemouth spent big money uh, by their standards in the transfer window. I, I quite like their recruitment. I think they've invested in young up-and-coming players who could have a short-term impact in terms of helping them stay in the Premier League, although as Scott Minto has been saying for a while, I think that would be very difficult. If they do go down, I think what they've done is made sure the players they've signed are really going to take the championship by storm and coming back up next season shouldn't be too difficult. I think Gary O'Neill needs a win. If you look at Bournemouth's form since they came back from the World Cup, yet to pick up a single victory in the Premier League, knocked out the FA Cup by Burnley. They're only six or seven minutes away from beating Forest last weekend before conceding a gut-wrenching late equaliser. They've got a lot of injuries. I'm not sure Lloyd Kelly will be fit for this game. Dominic Solanke possibly could return. Lewis Cook is still out. I know they were looking for a domestic midfield loan on deadline day. That didn't quite happen. So I think Brighton probably at home will be too strong, but it'll be interesting, Scott, I think, to see how the new additions at Bournemouth gel. Yeah, you know, you and I both know Gary well. Crookie and you know I, I again I'm repeating myself from what I said last week but to start of the season I said not only will they go down they'll finish bottom and obviously Scott's gone Gary's come in he had that initial bounce but he is literally I mean you talk about Eddie Howe Arteta and I know you went Ten Hag in in the shout of manager of the season but he should be in with a shout if he does so well but if Gary O'Neill keeps Bournemouth up I mean that's that's right up there he, he won't he won't get it but that is an incredible achievement. And I think you're right. I think in terms of the, the, the transfer window, they've looked at, look, we can't afford to completely go for it here and, and be, you know, have people on 100 grand a week 
plus in the championship. But we need players who are able to, one, have the character mentally, because it is different. You know, the games do come thick and fast and the football is a little bit different. But but also the ability to get straight, straight back up there. And I, I think Gary would love the challenge, even if they did go down. But look, this is a really tough game. We, we said about where Liverpool can finish and, and you've made that that claim. I actually think as well as form uh, Fulham and Brentford have done, I can see them just falling away a little bit. I don't necessarily see that with Brighton. I think De Zerbe's just come on and somehow he's taken them even further on th- than what Graham Potter has done. In terms of Caicedo, I'd play him. I think he looks one of those lads who probably would have been very sheepish and he'd probably be lying in bed last night thinking, oh, you know, it didn't work. I listened to my agent and... And, and yeah, you know, it's it's good that if Brighton didn't want him to go, that they didn't feel forced into the, the move. But I think he's one of those lads who, you know, and I've played with many of them where they're just a good, honest bunch of lads and, and he will get back into the team. And I think he won't want to be sitting on the bench and listening to the odd remark from the fans. He'll want to be out there making tackles, winning the fans back. And I can see this a pretty comfortable win for Brighton. Elsewhere this weekend, Nottingham Forest against Leeds, Aston Villa against Leicester. I think Leicester in big trouble. And Brentford against Southampton, similarly, in big trouble. OK, um, that's it from us. We're back on uh, Monday afternoon. We'll be in vision on Monday afternoon as well. Looking forward uh, to that. We'll review all the Premier League action, by which time um, I'm sure another one of uh, Crookie's bold claims is going to crashing uh, thank you very much uh, for your uh, uh, for your attendance this morning. It's been uh, nice and fun to see you once again. Uh, what have you got this week, Crook? Where else would I be? Brighton, Bournemouth. Looking forward to it. Of course you would. Of course you would. And what about you, uh, Scott? I'm doing Exeter to Charlton, but from the Valley. All right. Okay. Well, because it's too far for you to go. Is it down to Southwest? You didn't fancy a little trip down to, to Devon? Whenever I work for Charlton, it's always done for the Valley, mate. Yeah, that is way too far. I'm sorry. It's a lovely weekend, but not one that I'm going to do um, at the beginning of February. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the, the right sort of time for, for that sort of trip. Uh, I'll be at Everton against uh, Arsenal on Saturday. Morning live for TalkSport kicks off at 12.30. It's part of game day. We start at 11 o'clock. We've got that game, and then it's followed by Liverpool versus Wolves over on TalkSport 2. Make sure you join us on TalkSport The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. 